Hello there, I'm coach Will Love and you're listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. I'm fortunate to be joined by Lyle Fuller today. Fuller is a broadcaster and longtime Idaho high school sports fan in Preston. Fuller is also a practicing attorney who graduated from Duke University in 2000. And maybe I'll ask you about Coach K at the end of this. But Lyle, thanks for talking some basketball with us today. How's everything in Preston? Hey, just great. Uh, beautiful day here and appreciate the chance to be on a podcast with you and visit about uh, some of these issues that are going on. I, I think they're very interesting. And I think that uh, uh, a lot of people around the state will be uh, thinking about the things we'll be talking about pretty quick here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, on this podcast, I'm usually talking to coaches, not lawyers, you know. Right. Uh, <laughs> We're not under oath, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, but with this, we were talking recently about uh, about some stuff and the subject of uh, NILs came up. And of course, we're familiar with uh, NCAA rule that it now allows athletes to profit financially from their name, image and likeness and how much that's shaken up the college sports landscape. And we'll talk probably a little bit about that. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is the way that this I, or I'm sorry, NIL uh, is going to impact high school sports. And if right. you just do a little bit of research, you're already finding that uh, there's several states that have adopted NIL policies. And what I just found out recently is that uh, Idaho, yes, the Idaho High School Activities Association finalized a NIL policy in January. And the policy is not like you can tell me as a lawyer, like it's not very descriptive. It just basically says that Idaho high school athletes can profit from their name, image and likeness as long as they're not wearing the school's uniform. So when you yeah. heard that, what what, what, no, that, what, did, uh, what did that know, make you think? It makes me think that uh, that number one, that's kind of breaking news. So <laughs> well done there. Uh, and and number two, most people around the state probably have heard of NIL at the NCAA level. Have thought maybe it's coming to high school, maybe it's not, but would be surprised to know that there may already be some kind of least formative policy in place, if not a written rule. If you go to the High School Athletic Association website right now. You won't find anything on it, but uh, uh, I think it's coming. And and different states have looked at it in a different way. And and I guess my my interest in it, you know, I, when I was in uh, law school, I took a sports law class. When I was in Kansas City, I worked for a law firm that represented the NCAA actually, and some interesting things in the. One of my uh, colleagues there, John Duncan, is now actually the NCAA head of enforcement. And you see his name kicked around and dragged through the mud in some of these articles complaining about the NCAA enforcement process. But so I've always just kind of had an interest in it, you know, the intersection of, of sports and amateurism and business. And, and that's really the heart of, of what we're talking about and what uh, makes people nervous about it coming to the high school level. And, and you know, what we saw at the NCAA level was the NCAA, frankly, was slow to act. I think everyone would pretty much acknowledge that. And so individual states started getting into the act. There was the Alston uh, lawsuit that changed some of the landscape. And, and some of these states have actually passed laws directly dealing with NIL. Idaho has not. But for example, the law in Texas 
allows NIL deals for college athletes, but expressly forbids it for high school athletes, which is kind of an interesting uh, twist on it. So, uh, you know, it, it's a patchwork out there right now. It's a fast moving environment. And I don't think anyone really knows exactly how it's going to work in Idaho or anywhere else yet for that matter, but it, but it's definitely coming and, and it's, it may be already here. Do you, uh, let me ask it this way. Were you kind of surprised when I gave that information to you that Idaho has a policy? I, I really was because uh, the, the states that have tended to lead out in the NCAA NIL have been California, Florida, bigger states, frankly, that have a, a higher percentage of the high profile five star guys in football, basketball, those sorts of things. And so they were, I think, feeling pressure at their athletes, feeling like they were going to lose their hometown heroes to some out-of-state school because that's out-of-state school offered NIL uh, opportunities. Uh, you know, we, we overlook in that discussion, though, that uh, uh, there's also Olympic athletes that can benefit greatly from NIL, swimmers, tennis players, uh, track and field, that sort of thing. And, and on the women's side, you know, women's basketball and those sorts of things, uh, some of the NIL deals, some of the best and biggest ones at the college level been for female athletes. So it's not just football and, and boys basketball we're talking about, but Idaho being on the leading edge, if not the bleeding edge, that was a little surprising to me. It's not typically, I think, where Idaho finds itself is running with the likes of Florida, California, and Texas in, in pushing something like that. So the state of Ohio is in the process of voting on this and their board or whatever governing body is made up of the principals in the state. And so that's like 840. And so it's like a two week process that they go through and they vote. The reason why I'm kind of bringing that up is because we have Idaho's, which when I talked to Ty Jones, it was basically, you know, summarized in a sentence I, Ohio's is a little more detailed in that, uh, you know, it says not just uniforms, but advertisements or endorsements uh, cannot include schools uh, names, uh, mascots or logos. Then it identifies uh, the endorsements can't come from certain companies, basically saying it's got to support the mission of education based athletics. So that takes out you know, alcohol, casinos, drugs, gambling, those types of things. And then the other thing that was kind of inter interesting, which I was talking to my uh, AD about this morning, was that the money earned could not benefit athletic departments or teams. So, you know, why do we have, why do you think we have like this difference uh, there? And do you think that that might yeah. hurt Idaho that it's kind of vague? Well, and in and, and Kansas, I looked at the Kansas NIL for high schoolers, and it's similar to what you described for Ohio. There's restrictions on what type of companies you could endorse for, and, and you can't use any of the school's intellectual property, essentially, uh, which raises a separate point. How many schools have trademarked their, their logo and their mascot? Probably very few high schools in Idaho have, have done intellectual property inventories and protections, but well, that, that's steal, a separate steal issue. their logos, too. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think I wonder if it's a reaction to a perceived uh, situation that maybe some athletes will be choosing to vote with their feet, so to speak. And we, we've seen that. I mean, one of the highest profile high school NIL situations is, is a, a basketball player named Mikey Williams, who's already signed with Puma for, from what I understand, two or three million dollars as a shoe deal in high school. And 
to get around any kind of entanglements with the local or, or statewide high school association. He plays for his father's team. His dad's the coach, and it's a charter school, as I understand it, North Carolina, that does not bother to even try to comply with the North Carolina Athletic Association rules. And so, uh, that, you know, that that becomes the question is, will, will people start voting with their feet and, and going to gravitating towards those opportunities? I, I haven't verified this, but I saw something that said LeBron James, James's son, Bronny, has already filed for trademarks on, I think, three different things, uh, clothing and apparel and video games and something else. Anyways, it's expected that he'll sign a big NIL deal at some point here and, uh, and, and off, off you go, right? And we've seen it with, with football players as well. Obviously, football is a huge revenue generator. So uh, I'm not sure, and, and that'd be interesting to get some further information from the Idaho Athletic Association and Mr. Jones as to why they've uh, taken that step, and maybe it's somewhat tentative. Uh, the devil's usually in the detail and writing up how the policy is actually going to work. And, and to your point about the voting, there is a provision in the bylaws of the Idaho Athletic Association rules that would allow all of the members to vote instead of just the board. And, and if maybe they felt like it was going to be a hot button topic, maybe they'd put that out there for a full membership of the full uh, body instead of just the, the board. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I asked Ty was if he got the sense that the board is happy with this policy. I know it's really early because it was adopted in January or might look to amend it. And Ty said, I think for now the board will monitor since the policy is so new. One of the things I also asked him on this to kind of get clarification on it is that I recently saw a post of a athlete like hosting a high school athlete hosting a, uh, a basketball camp. The basketball camp was free. Uh, they had a lot of sponsors and I don't know anything more beyond that. Like if the, if the athlete received right. money, but I was just asking Ty, like, is this, is this okay under the Idaho rules? And he said, as long as they're not in their uniform promoting this, like student athletes can put on their own camps and say like Sandpoint high school athlete, skills camp. Uh, and that is within, uh, that is okay. And they could make money off of, off of that. So, you know, I don't know if you've got a gauge right. on this, but we kind of, you know, we think about this with like big shoe deals and, and, uh, auto dealers coming in and giving right. a bunch of right. money and stuff like that. What, do you have a sense of other ways that kids might be able to profit off their name, image, and likeness? Uh, yeah, and I think that will happen on a smaller scale uh, pretty quickly. You know, one of my friends has a son who, who plays for Idaho State, and as soon as the NAL deals became a thing, uh, he he got a a pretty modest line of, uh, I guess, modest to me, line of uh, sportswear, uh, and he's doing camps, and he can he can now keep the money and so forth. Um, of course, being an attorney, we always wonder sometimes about liability issues. And, and I don't know how that part shakes out. If, if a high school camp is being put on and sponsored by an individual uh, player and, and maybe, maybe a few of his teammates too, or her teammates, and maybe their parents, you know, if I send, as a parent, if I send my child to a basketball camp at, at Preston High School put on by the Preston coaches, I'm assuming a uh, kid falls and breaks his arm, there's probably going to be insurance coverage through iCrimp, which covers school property. But if you're talking about now, you're going to have to run a camp off premises because if you host, host it at the school or you somehow imply an endorsement and where are you going to hold the camp and, and how, how's that going to run insurance wise and so forth. 
Uh, and not to mention the fact that, that the high school athletes are almost always still minors. And technically, a minor can't enter into a legally binding contract, or at least they're voidable. Uh, and so, so that presents an issue as well from a contracting standpoint. Usually attorneys can work around the contract issue by involving a parent or guardian, but, uh, but, but I think it's possible and, and those deals will, will probably start to pop up and, and be on a much smaller scale than, than some of the Mikey Williams Puma deals we'll see. Right. In your opinion, <laughs> both is, uh, an attorney and then also as a sports fan, what are some benefits that this might have for college students and high school students? And then what are some issues that maybe parents should be concerned about and, and, and not just jump into things? Yeah. One of them would be just, you know, who, who's sponsoring and, and why, right. And, and what, what are they expecting a certain amount of access to the, to the player? Are they expecting a certain amount of access to the program? Uh, and I'm not suggesting that coaches should be involved in these deals or micromanaging. In fact, at the NCAA level, they're expressly forbidden from doing that. And, and the NIL deals at the NCAA level are, cannot be pay for play. So, so what exactly as a sponsor am I paying for if it's not pay for play? It's, it's um, you know, in the uh, in the advertising world, you talk about a Q rating, right? What's somebody's Q rating? And, th and that's a, a measure, a quotient of someone's likability or someone's uh, how bright, I guess, their star shines in, in the eyes of a consumer. And uh, for the average Idaho high school basketball player, the Q rating is probably about zero. So, for, you know, if, a, if I'm a car dealership and I want to sponsor a young man or young woman who plays high school basketball, what, what exactly am I paying for? Because uh, you know, it, we just saw at the NCAA level, Nigel Pack transfers from K-State to Miami. Uh, John Ruiz, a billionaire booster from Miami who has a company called Life Wallet, and co-sponsors or co-announces his transfer and says we're giving him 400000 a year plus a car to come to Miami. Well, I, I, I'd like to see the metrics and the analysis that shows that anybody's going to buy Life Wallet products based on Mr. Pack and playing basketball for Miami. So it raises the question, right? What, what, what are they paying for? So that would be one of them. You'd have to figure out the contract issue, essentially probably set up a trust and have the money go into trust for the benefit of the, of the player when they become of age, age of majority. And th those issues, I think, could be dealt with. But those are the, some of the things that I would be um, concerned about from a parent side. And there's probably a whole other raft of concerns from the school side of things, uh, you know, as, as to what, what's going on and, and why. So in a town like Preston, do you think this is going to have an impact? Do you think there'll be any players there that might have even enough of a Q rating within the community to have, you know, maybe somebody that owns a burger stand or something like that say, Hey, come on down and get milkshakes. Well, then that's a great question. You know, uh, I guess I'll answer partly this way. You know, I, I love helping uh, broadcast games on the local radio station and doing color commentary for those. And, and uh, they sell a lot of advertising on our local radio station for Preston sports. And then West side, for those who don't know, West side high school sits about five miles outside of Preston. And so we broadcast a lot of Preston and West side games over the radio and, and, and it's a good arrangement, right? So uh, is there interest in the community to sponsor athletics? I, I think for sure. Yes. Um, would somebody, 
be willing to pay that? I guess that's, that's an interesting question that I, I don't know that I don't know the answer to that. And I hope the answer would not be, they would only be willing to pay to keep somebody who is transferring or threatening to transfer somewhere else where somebody would pay them because then, then we get into an uglier situation that, that we, a road we don't really want to go down. But uh, my, my guess is maybe a, maybe a father of one of the players on the team, maybe own a business or something and say, Hey, I'll sure, you know, I'll, I'll do a little NIL deal. Uh, for for my son or daughter and his or her teammates or something like that, but um, would it actually result in more people come to my burger stand? I I, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I drive by the billboard on the interstate uh, outside of uh, Ogden with Justin Bean, the Utah State basketball player, telling me which bank I should go to, and I don't pay any attention to that. So I, I'm not sure how how much it would drive any kind of revenue. A question for you, and I don't know, you know, if you want to answer this or not, but if a family came to you and said, at what point would it be worth it to actually do this versus having to do all these taxes, these contracts and stuff like that? Is there, is there a point where it just might not be worth it other than to say like, oh, hey, I got an NIL deal? Right. Uh, you know, I, I think the, it would have to be in the four figures, if not five figures, before it would really become worth it. But then again, once once some of these questions or answers and guardrails are in place, there becomes kind of a standard set of forms, if you will. So you're not reinventing the wheel every time. And right now, I, you know, probably an athlete would go to their athletic director and say, do you have any guidance on how to do this? And Nobody really knows right now exactly how to do it or what all the ramifications are other than don't use our school logo and don't don't say you're putting it on on behalf of the school or if it's a camp, for example, um, you know, don't put the school logo on the sweatshirt you're selling or, or whatever it may be. Uh, but but I, I think, uh, you know, there tends to be kind of a little cottage industry that springs up on these type of things that would help guide athletes and their parents through the process and provide forms and advice and that sort of thing. And so. I think that could happen, uh, but but right now, as you know, has been described in some of the uh, internet articles, it's kind of the wild, wild west. Nobody really knows exactly where it's going or how it's going to work. So we talked about some smaller communities, you know, like Sandpoint and Preston. What about in kind of these bigger areas that have multiple high schools? Do you foresee some some competition there? Well, I, I do, and and I and not just because it trickles down from the NCAA level, but where you're definitely seeing it. I I don't know. There there was a great article by uh, Matt Norlander on CBSSports.com talking about the impact of the Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack situation at Miami. He, he quotes a lot of uh, big time Power Five conference coaches and saying this is insanity. Uh, agents are going around now. You get agents involved, right? Agents are going around literally shopping players and saying. Here it is, you know, two hundred fifty thousand. If you want to even talk to my guy or whatever it is, you got to come up with this, and and so uh, it it's becoming pretty unsavory. In fact, he ends with a quote from an anonymous quote from one of the coaches saying, "Why can't we go back to the old days where we just gave him a bag of cash under the table and called it good?" But that, that's that's not where we're at. But and it does lead into a discussion of transfers, right? At college, you have the transfer portal. Uh, the 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 transfer rules at the state level have been. Um, bent, if not broken, probably numerous times. And there's been a lot of discussion probably in the coaching community and athletic community about that. Um, but but I, I could easily foresee it. 
where um, either an existing school or what's to stop um, the next charter school springing up in Boise or a more populated area and saying, we are a basketball academy. I mean, most of, most of us uh, on this end of the state are, you know, we, we get a lot of news from Utah. We follow stuff in Utah more. You might be familiar with Wasatch Academy down in uh, Utah. They're out in the middle of a tiny town. But uh, what some may not know is Real Salt Lake has started a basketball academy. And, and I've been reading up on it. And frankly, it's, it's kind of impressive and kind of intimidating. Real Salt Lake is co-owned by Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, and another fellow who co-owns the New Jersey Nets, I believe. So big money, in other words. They've got what they tout as a $78 million facility. They've been doing this on the soccer side for a number of years. Now they've started basketball. So they have a charter school, they have dorms, they have cafeterias, they have multiple weight rooms, basketball rooms. You know, they, they say that they call their program pathway to pro, frankly. And they say, if you come here, we will maximize your chance to be a professional basketball player with a, with a high level of coaching, the higher level than you'll get at your local high school. Of course, they have to say that. Uh, we'll provide you nutritionists, trainers, um, whatever you need, tutors for your schooling. And, and uh, you know, I don't know that anybody, for, say, for example, in Boise would, would have that kind of money or interest to throw at it. But on a much smaller scale, why not? And who's, who's to stop them from doing it, right? And so uh, could it happen at, at an existing high school? You'd still have to obey the transfer rules. Um, but people vote with their feet as well. So, I mean, there's nothing in the transfer rule that prohibits a, a, a parent who maybe played college sports, maybe both parents played college sports, they think their kids will be athletic, purposely moving into a particular district because they know that's where they want their child to participate in athletics. No one can do anything about that. Just looking into that crystal ball, you know, what do you think this looks like in five, five years? I, I think there'd be a much more settled uh, regulatory framework in place with much more detailed rules uh, as, as different states around the country trot this out at the high school level. Uh, I, I think there'll be a refining and kind of a sharpening of, of rules and figuring out how this is going to work. Um, I, I hope that's the case because, you know, at the end of the day, what nobody wants obviously is, is for young people to be exploited in any way. I mean, you're, you're talking about kids and minors and, um, by definition, they're not fully grown adults, and and therefore, they're deserving of more protection. And and you know you you want to uh, be careful um, to. Uh, I mean, obviously, the internet, and social media is not going away. But but uh, what I would like to see myself would be more focus on athletic achievement and less focus on the social media influence aspect of it. Um, and I, and I fully understand that however many Instagram or TikTok followers you have or whatever it may be, that translates directly into a certain amount of dollars and you can research all that out in the internet. But so I, I understand getting eyeballs and clicks and page views translates directly to dollars, but, uh, I, I would hope we could celebrate athletic achievement and not go down, uh, you know, for, for an older fellow like me, I, I guess I'll put myself in that category. Uh, you know, I hope we don't see the Anna Kornikova effect with, you know, which for those younger folks, she was an outstanding tennis player, but she never really won a singles uh, event in the pro tour. And uh, yet she made way more money than the women who are ranked number one in the world because of the endorsements, because of 
you know, she was selling uh, herself as much as her tennis ability. And so, uh, you know, th those things get, frankly, pretty unsavory pretty quickly when you're talking about high school kids and minors and so forth. So, you know, I, I would hope that it would be based on, hey, you know, we want to help a young man or young woman out. They, they're an athletic uh, standout or achievement-based uh, sort of thing and, and that the rules would be further defined and put in place that way. Well, one of the things that Ty said to me, and then also I saw another state director say, and so this must be the term going around in their circles, is that this is a moving target and that they need yeah. to stay on top yeah. of. And, and as Ty said about that, that they're going to be assessing this and seeing where it's going and, and, and determining, you know, maybe that first deal gets made, uh, what they can learn from that. And, you know, and I, I think it, it, to me, it was interesting anyways, part of what kicked this off was a lawsuit filed down in Florida uh, as a class action. Sal Stewart was the name plaintiff versus Florida High School Athletic Association filed in January of this year. Stewart was a baseball, high school baseball player. And the lawsuit was asking the court to throw out the, the Florida High School Athletic Association rules on amateurism claimed they were invalid, unconstitutional, and antitrust violation. And basically, the lawsuit claims that it's unfair for schools and other sponsors uh, to, you know, reap the rewards of high school athletes' blood, sweat, and tears, and sometimes injuries. Frankly, we know injuries happen as well. And then, and then have these athletes be banned by what they call outdated and draconian uh, amateurism rules for making any money off their own name, image, and likeness. So uh, I, I found, so there's the National Federation of, of High Schools, like the NF, NFHS, National Federation of State High School Associations. I thought it might be of some interest uh, to, to hear what the executive director of NFHS said about the law school or lawsuit when they contacted her. That's Carissa Nyhoff. Uh, she says high school athletes should not be considered the same as college athletes, right? This is in some degree, maybe monkey see, monkey do from college trickling down, she says, no, it's completely different because of different eligibility requirements, different access to exposure, training, opportunities for scholarships. Uh, she goes on to say, I thought, I thought this was pretty interesting from the different point of view. She says, high school students participating in these out-of-school pro, out programs must not be allowed to benefit from NIL. This would completely disrupt the high school environment when these students come into the locker room. The two worlds cannot coexist as the high school environment would most likely be the one that's compromised. She says the battle for amateurism perhaps has been lost at the college level, but it must be maintained to preserve the greatest programs in the country, education-based interscholastic sports in our nation's high schools. So that's kind of gives you some flavor of where at least the national federation is going to come in. However, the national federation uh, by nature is, is not going to tell Idaho how to determine its eligibility. Idaho's rule 8.4 is going to stand on its own. Each state determines eligibility within their state. And so they they can push that, and it sounds like they are pushing that. Uh, but but it you know it, so where will it be for five in five years is a great question. It's certainly fast moving. Uh, it's a little chaotic right now, and I, I guess we'll we'll see as it plays out. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about your time at Duke. So what's Cameron sure. Indoor uh, Arena like? Well, it, when you first walk in, you think. Uh, is this the high school gym in the sense that it's so small and intimate. 
Uh, they've they've re rejected appeals over the years to increase the seating. It seats about 8,000. Of course, they sell it every game. And the great thing about it is that, of course, the students are right on the court. And so uh, when a, a North Carolina player's, you know, inboundsing ball on the sideline, the students could almost, you know, pluck their leg hairs off their legs. I mean, you're just right there on the court. And so that's really a whole lot of fun and exciting. I was there from 97 to 2000. And so Duke's 1999 team that played in the national championship uh, against UConn uh, was, was a tremendous team. Elton Brand was the best player on that team. And just, just having a chance to watch those high-level Division I athletes up close and personal. There were several games I was standing on the on the playing floor with just one set of one-row bleachers behind me. And, and, man, it's just phenomenal, just just truly great. I mean, I've been – I've watched games at Fog Allen Fieldhouse as well, and that's, that's a great environment. But for my money, uh, nothing beats the old Cameron Indoor Stadium. What will you remember about uh, Coach K? Uh, you know, just just that um, he's funny. I, I think a lot of people miss that because he's so he comes across kind of serious and kind of foreboding now. And, and but um, uh, you know, not that I hung around him or on campus or anything. But uh, students have to camp out for tickets there, and they have a grad student camp out. And and Coach K was good enough to buy pizza for all fourteen hundred of us or whatever it was grad camping out as grad students and. And then he talked to us for a little while. Of course, this was off the record, no reporters present or anything. And he's just really funny. He's got a great sense of humor and uh, just just down to earth uh, kind of guy that I think I think most people would like if they actually got to know him a little bit, as opposed to the Duke haters who just have the stereotype that he's the evil empire. <laughs> so big transition. Uh, how do you feel about uh, Coach Sire and what uh, he might be able to bring to the program? Well, uh, that remains to be seen where he hasn't been a head coach anywhere before. He, he was an extremely bright player, led the Duke to a national championship as a point guard his senior year, and uh, become, you know has all the accolades as an assistant you'd ever want. I think Coach K, his greatest strength was recruiting really good players, then getting them to play together well. I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying he was bad at X's and O's, but I'm not saying that that's not what he's primarily known for. And so... Uh, we'll see what direction Shire takes the program in. I mean, he's certainly recruited at an extremely high level so far, and he's a very bright guy, and every you know everyone seems to love him. So we'll see. But but as we saw at North Carolina and UCLA and other programs, following a legend is is always tough. <laughs> and so I I certainly hope he does well, and he's he's got some some great recruits coming in already. So I'm excited about that. All right, I got one more final question for you, and this has to do with uh, your 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 side gig, and that's uh, with uh, uh, broadcasting for Preston. There, what was it like in that league this year? Because I, you know, I think it's people would argue that maybe three of the top four or five teams were playing in that league. So, what was that like? broadcasting and seeing that that situation yeah. play out well yeah just just phenomenal uh you know high level of basketball and and um uh coach green at pocatello and coach frost at century have got great programs going and they have for years uh unfortunately for them they haven't been able to make it to state out of a out of a three-team league because preston's been so good but uh you know they that flip they flipped this this uh, script this year and uh, certainly Bowie for Pocatello and, and Payne were just phenomenal players. Uh, Harwell, obviously at Century and some of their other guys were just really good. And so 
that that was a lot of fun, super competitive. Um, you know, you, you develop rivalries and, and that sort of thing. And so, so that becomes a part of it as well. Uh, I put something out on Twitter. Now I can't remember exactly what the statistic is, but at one point, uh, the combined records of, of Preston, Pocatello, and Century against Idaho competition was was really daunting and impressive. And you thought, well, sure would be great if more than one team could make it out of this district. Now, you know, could anybody in our district have beaten Hillcrest at state? I don't know. I'm not saying that, but I but I'm saying three really good teams and and really good competition. And uh, you know, where where Bowie and Harwell are underclassmen, and for that matter, you know, Davis at Hillcrest as well. Uh, certainly high school basketball looks strong going into the future here in, in Eastern Idaho. All right, Lyle. Well, I really appreciate your time. This has been fun talking to you. you. And I, know it, I know it's been a little bit different than what we normally do, but I just think that this, uh, especially the NIL is going to not, you know, I, I think it's going to have a little more impact. And like we talked about, it's going to be a little bit quicker than maybe some high school coaches were thinking. Yeah, and, and you know it'd be fascinating to see how the discussion unfolds and how the rules unfold on it. But it but it sounds like it's it's here. It, it at least it's on the front porch and it's maybe about to come through the front door. Yeah, and you know as we know when the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's very difficult to put back or for usually sure. not going to go back. So yeah. again, really thank, appreciate. Thank it. you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Idaho Basketball Coaching Podcast. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email me at idahobasketballcoachingpodcast at gmail.com. 